really glad y'all are, you keep coming back, and that's very encouraging. So uh, really, really grateful, and I, I hope that uh, what we've been doing this week, you have been actually practicing God's presence, and, and, and you know, uh, we don't ever have to pray for God to show up because he's already here. We, we just have to pray that we wake up, and so my real prayer throughout what we've been doing and practicing the presence is that you all have woken up to the ways that God surrounds you and his presence is with you, not only in the morning, but all day long. And, and we started out a couple nights ago, and, and, and we landed at that place by looking at that pattern in the Psalms that where you start the day determines how you finish it. That You start it reactively, and you'll end it chaotically. But when you start it in silence and in serenity, you'll, you'll end it in, in peace. And then last night, as we, we, uh, we used the ladder and, and we realized, man, success at getting the wrong thing is still failure. And so the object of your pursuit does, in fact, determine your level of contentment when you get it. And, and then tonight, got a whole new thing to talk to you about. And, and uh, if you have your Bible with you throughout this whole series, we've been in the, in the book of Psalms. And so I'm not going to deviate from that. If you have your Bible with you, locate Psalm number 55. And if your Bible is not here, we handed out those, those, uh, the handouts. That's why they're called handouts, why we handed them out, because that's what they are as handouts. And the scriptures are listed there, Psalm number 55. And I've been telling you for the last couple of nights that, that uh, even though this has covers and pages and a beginning and an end, this is not a book. It's a library lot of authors writing in a lot of different writing styles over a long span of time. This is why, this is just a free little bit of advice. You don't have to give extra on your way out or anything. But this is why starting, trying to read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, never works. People get, they, they barely get through Genesis and then Exodus maybe and then Leviticus, they, they give up. Because it's not designed to be used that way. It's a li- you would never go to a library. And, and think, well, I'm going to read the first book in the library, and then I'm going to read every book consecutively till I read the last book. It's not designed to be used that way. It's the same with Scripture. And when, we, when, when, when you understand that, ah, the different parts of it can speak with so much power. And in the biblical library, like any good library, there is a book of Psalms. And the song book in, in the biblical library is the book of Psalms. And what we're going to look at tonight is another one that was written by David, the same David who slew Goliath and slept with Bathsheba and was the king over Israel. This is another one of his songs. This other, there's one other thing that I believe about this library, and I know, I know Mark believes, and I assume that a good number of you, maybe not everybody, but that a good number of you in this place believe about this biblical library, that it is totally unique among libraries in the world. This is the only one that God breathed his life into its words, and he put his truth onto its pages. This is inspired, and it's eternal, and it's true. And we are blessed to be able to stand under its authority, that even when we don't understand it, it always makes better sense to follow it and then figure it out later. So having said all of that, being grateful for for the authority of the word, uh, tonight I'm going to talk to you about twos and threes. So let's pray. Lord, I am powerless without you. But because of you, I'm never helpless. And I am just so grateful that you have promised to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to ask that you send him. You told us you would. I just pray that I will be so completely awake to his presence. 
And that, God, while you are giving me a fresh anointing of that spirit, that you would do the same with the people who gathered at Pleasant Garden so that hearts would be softened and minds would be open to hear what it is that the Spirit's saying as a church tonight. In the strong and saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So have you ever noticed that uh, in life, to get to something, you usually have to go through something else. And typically, the, the more difficult and arduous the through, the more rewarding is the two. It's kind of like the, the more challenging the journey, the more euphoric that destination. It's kind of the way that twos and throughs work together. I'm really not telling you something, anything that you don't already know. I maybe just and you've probably experienced dozens, maybe hundreds of times. I'm, I'm just sort of giving you some language or maybe a framework for what you have been through. But to, to get to some kind of goal or, or destination, you got to get go through some sort of path, some sort of tunnel. Like I know some of you in this place, maybe earlier season in life or maybe just last week, you, you studied and you tested, and you borrowed, and you studied, and you tested some more, and then finally, at the end of all that borrowing, and all that testing, and all that applying, you you got the, to the great, to, you got that degree. For some of you, it was an associate's degree, and maybe some of you was an undergrad, some of you was a high school diploma, and diploma, and maybe some of you even got that law degree, or that medical degree, and then the really elite people in here, you went through, and you borrowed, and you studied, and you you got tested and you got the ultimate. This is really for just the brainiest people in here. You got the masters of divinity is what you you got, and and so you you're ready for minutes. You go, you went through and you got two, and then maybe for others of you, it was it was kind of the the reason that that graduation is such a deal is because matriculation was such an ordeal. You 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 celebrate the two because going to the through was so hard, and then. And then others of you, maybe that, that two that you were headed towards is a little bit different. But, but you too, you, you met with folks and you spent money and you made appointments and, and you tried on clothes. And, and if you were a guy, you asked, can I please just get out of this process at all? But you walked through all of that. You fought. You got family involved. And at the end of it all, the end of it all, this great two that you went through all that stuff, what a wedding. And I'm there for a lot of these weddings, and it always astounds me how quickly the service is done compared to how long that run-up took. I mean, a year of planning, and then the ceremony is finished in like 15 or 20 minutes, and the family has spent all this money. It's this arduous, difficult through to get to this supposedly glorious too. And if you're not careful, if it's not good, then there's going to be another through to get to a two, the through litigation to get to divorce. And some of you have been through that. You've had kids go through that, and you know how painful that it is. All kinds of throughs to get to all kinds of twos. And and I, I isn't it interesting, ladies, I know a lot of you have been through this. You go through labor to get to delivery. And and think about that word labor. Think of all that they that what that we don't call it. 
We don't call it ease. We don't call it vacation. We don't even call it management. We call it labor. And you got to go through the pain of that labor to get to the glory of that little baby. And all of a sudden, you're holding that baby in your hands. And, and, and miraculously, irrationally, you think it was all worth it. You're ready to do it again. Guys, don't worry. I'm, I'm not going to forget you guys. You're, you're, of course, you're the one who made it through that whole process without taking any medicine. So you're the real hero of all that. But whether maybe when it's not a, a baby, you've got your own throughs to get to your twos. You've got you, some of you on the weight loss program or physical fitness program or rock climbing or, or getting through that job training to get to that new job or getting through a building campaign to get to a new building. You, you know what I'm talking about. If, if the through was short and easy, the two wouldn't be so appreciated. And it, it is just a fact of life that when you have this difficult journey, when the through has some struggles to it, the two that you get to, you tend to appreciate a whole lot more throughs and twos. The reason I'm talking about throughs and twos is, is that I just sort of love, love, love this Bible journey that we are going to take tonight. Because we're going we're gonna to take this little Bible journey through a, a much overlooked and ignored and yet uh, unbelievably meaningful psalm, number 55. Because we've been practicing God's presence together, and, and, and we've been realizing that if you really want to understand what it means to to practice God's presence, to feel like he is with you, to be awake to his presence all day long, that there's no better place to go than the book of Psalms. And, and, and there's no more raw and real collection of writings and perceptions of interacting with God than the book of Psalms. And it's so interesting, in, in Psalm 55, we're, we're going to start at the end. We're going to look at the res- We're going to look at the two. And and look at what it says, the very last line of Psalm 55, the last line of the last verse, verse 23, where it says this, But as for me, I trust in you. So so that's, that's the two that David gets to, that at the very end of this psalm, after taking the journey and, and notice that, that place where I trust you, he doesn't even say I trust in God. He says I trust you. You, he's feeling connected enough to, to, to refer to God directly. But what I find fascinating is that that's not how the psalm starts. There's evidently a long journey, like 22 verses worth, to get to that place where David trusts. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but when we talk about the Bible being inspired and eternal and true, it's not just the verses. It's the actual design of the scripture. And so when we talk about God breathing life into a, into an individual psalm, now he's not just breathing life into the into the the verses themselves. He's breathing life and truth and inspiration into the how the whole thing is put together. And I think you're going to see that in Psalm number 55. Because this place where David lands, as for me, I don't I don't care what all these all my enemies are are, are doing, all those people who betrayed me are doing, as for me, I'm going to trust you. And I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but landing at that place where you decide, 
I trust God. That's a really good place to land. Because the alternative, if you get to that place and you decide either consciously or unconsciously, you decide not to trust God, who are you going to call? Who are you going to trust? The, the default response for all of us is we trust ourselves. That when we don't trust God, we trust ourselves. And if that's you, I have a promise to make you. If you decide, consciously or unconsciously, to trust yourselves, that the God who is you will always let you down. Every time. And, and so getting to that place where you trust God, and when I say trust God, both in the decision of a lifetime and in the details of the moment. Two elements of trusting God. That, that decision of a lifetime and, and then in the details of the moment, that, that you get to that place, that's a good, healthy place to be where you legitimately trust God. It, it, it makes me think of our, uh, our, our daughter, Taylor. She's now 28, which is why I almost never tell little baby stories because I don't even remember them. She's 28, and she lives in Nashville. And when she was about two years old, she would run through our house, and she would do this. This was definitely part of the deal. She would do this, and she would say, Daddy, hold you. Daddy, hold you, which was her way of saying, Daddy, hold me. Daddy, hold you. Daddy, hold you, just like this. And God, have that. Daddy, hold you. And, and, of course, I would say, no, kid, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm not doing that. Now you know why she lives in Nashville. But that's. But that's what trusting God is like. It's, it's this, it is this joyful awareness. I don't have life figured out. And I need someone bigger than me. I need someone stronger than me. I need someone more experienced than me to carry me along. And when you can get to that place where you're saying to your father, Daddy holds you. I don't have life figured out. I need you for the decisions of my life and the details of the moment. When you get to that kind of two, that's a really good place to be. But what is so marvelous about Psalm 55 is that in order to get to that place, as for me, I trust you. In order to get to verse 23, you have to go through verses 1 through 22. Not, not only on the page, but in life. Because David knows, and, and, and God knows, that if, that if that place of, as for me, I trust you, if that had been in verse 2, it, it would not have been the kind of trust that would last. There, there seems to be this kind of journey that God takes you on, a, a journey that is often difficult and arduous, and it is a journey that he takes you on, so that the trust you arrive at, so that you really had to flex and build your trust muscle so that the trust that you arrive at will be something that will endure. If it came to you too easily, you would esteem it too lightly. And the thing about Psalm 55 is that hovering over the whole deal, hovering over the whole thing, all 23 verses, is this sense of betrayal. Something about being betrayed has motivated David to write this psalm. Look how it begins. We, we, we've looked at the very end. As for me, I'm going to trust you. But look how it begins in, in verses 1 and, and 2 and 3 of Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Now, can you imagine? 
can you imagine being that nervy with God? Can you imagine starting out of it? Listen to me, God. Don't ignore my plea, which is a way of saying, don't ignore me on this time like you done did the last. That's Southern David. Like you done did the last time that I talked to you. Don't, don't ignore me, God. I, I don't know if you realize that throughout the Psalms, people are emboldened. Psalm writers are emboldened to shake their fist at God. Because they know that shaking their fist at God is just preparatory to raising a hand to him. They're so raw and so honest with God that they can get mad at God and they can ask questions of God. Lord, if you ever hear people, maybe it's come out of your mouth. Can't question the Lord. Quickest comeback for that is, oh, yeah, tell that to all the people who wrote the Bible. Because some of the most penetrating, nervy questions that anybody ever asked of God found their way into the pages of Scripture. And, and right here at Psalm 55, don't ignore my plea like you've been doing, David says. Then he picks it up, verse 2. Hear me and answer me. I, I just love how bold he is with God. I'm tired of you not listening to me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught, and here's, here comes the betrayal. Verse 3, because of what my enemy is saying because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. So there's that betrayal. It's all over Psalm 55. And then it gets even more specific down at verses 12 and 13 and 14. Look at what it says. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you. He's, he's not talking to God now. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. It was you who betrayed me. You're, you're one of my boys. I used to go to church with you. We, we put on the barbecue together. We were in the same Sunday school class. I got you cups of coffee on Sunday morning. You, you are the one who betrayed me. If it was an enemy... I could deal with it, but it was you who betrayed me, and I don't know. Maybe some of you know what that's like. Man, I have had friends, frenemy, leverage a private conversation for public gain, put it out there in, in, in the world, and <laughs> In a way, in a way that I, you know, I didn't sign up for. I thought this was a, a a private, confidential conversation, and it gets leveraged for public gain. In a way that he's the hero of the story, kind of betrayal just cuts so deep and bleeds so freely. Is it someone you battled with? Someone you've been to church with? You know what that's like. You, some of you here might have been betrayed by by a company. You stood by that company for years and years and years, and they got your best, and they got your most. And when the crisis came, that company did not return the favor of that loyalty, did they? They found out that you were a number to them and not a person. They betrayed you. And others of you might have been betrayed by a, a, a coach or a teacher or a pastor. by a sibling 
think they say that the most dangerous time in the life of any family is the reading of the will. And you've had that happen in your reading. And you know that betrayal, the closer the relationship, the more deeply that betrayal hurts, the more easily it bleeds. And then I know, I, I know that any gathering like this or any church anywhere, a person or two or five or ten has been betrayed by a spouse. You're still trying to put the pieces of life back together. You, you know what it's like have that sense of betrayal hovering not only over Psalm number 55 but over your life. Which is why I kind of love what David does here in, in the wake of that betrayal. Look at what he does in verses 6 and 7. He says this, I said, oh, that I have the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert streets. Look at verse 6 one more time. Oh, that I had wings of a dove, and I would fly away and be at rest. And some of you, maybe most of you, you're thinking, there's two songs right there, aren't they? Wings of a dove, and I'll fly away. Oh, You know it, don't you? Yeah. And what is, what is just absolutely fascinating is that both of those songs, Wings of a Dove and I'll Fly Away, both of those songs that were inspired by this verse betray a, a, a sense and, and have a message that is the opposite of Psalm 55. Because both of those songs, Wings of a Dove and I'll Fly Away, are like Southwest Airlines. Want to get away? Yeah, I want to get away. And notice that this part of Psalm 55 comes in the early part of it, verses 6 and 7. What David is saying is that if it was up to me, if I was trusting in me and I'm faced with this betrayal, I would fly away. I would not address it. I would not confront my betrayer, nor would I discuss the betrayal. If I was trusting me, I would just get away from it all. But the, where, the, where the psalm ends up is far, far different from that. And, and yet these two songs that come from this one verse are both like, get me out of here. Which brings up just a real clear notion to me, at least, if you're one of those people, because we talked about betrayal hovering over the psalm. And if you are one of those people and you're a chronic avoider, if there's no conversation so difficult, you can't put it off until next year. In the, in the hopes that it will all work itself out. And how often does that happen? That you don't address something that just works itself? Almost never. If you're one of those people, and the thought of having one of those difficult conversations, just your stomach churns even thinking about it. And I'm one of those people, chronic avoider. Well, then the thought of addressing betrayer and betrayal, that is actually quite traumatic. And, and you realize that, man, if I have to walk through that, if I have to walk through confrontation, if I have to walk through addressing some kind of betrayal to get to trust, there's a deep part of you that is like, no, no, it's too traumatic, too difficult. Which is why what, what David does next is even better in the psalm. Look at what he says in verse 17. Evening and morning and noon. I cry out in distress, and he 
hears my voice. Evening and morning and noon, I'm talking to you all the time. You know what that is, Pleasant Garden? That's practicing the presence. Just, just randomly out of nowhere, David throws this in. I'm in the f- middle of feeling this betrayal. I don't really want to address it. I'd rather escape it. But yet, evening and morning and noon, I am talking to you. I am in constant conversation with you. I've had that morning conversation, and that leads to day-long communication with you. And, and that's what he's doing, practicing the presence. And, and, and since I've been thinking about these things with you about practicing the presence, and, and, and I've been very purposeful, like, like, like Lord, w- w- when I get late in the day and I, and I, need, to, I, I need to know what to do, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? Because when I talk about trusting God, it, it, it is both the decisions of your life, big picture, and the details of the moment. And so I've really been thinking, I've been trying to talk to God like all day, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? And it's so fascinating to me how often when I ask that question, Lord, what would you have me do and what would you have me say? It, it, w- what usually comes back is, Talbot, don't bring the conversation back to you. And uh, y- y'all don't know me that well, but if you knew me a little bit better, you would know how difficult that would be for, for me to hear because I am my favorite subject. And, and, and I am a borderline narcissist. And sometimes I'll just cross over that line. And, and, and so I just... Uh, and, but I hear from God, don't talk about good shepherd. Talk about the good shepherd. There's a world of difference there. Instead of, well, let me tell you about the church that I get to serve. At least I don't say my church. Let me tell you about the church that I get to serve. And, and let me tell you about what we did. No, and God, God went, no, 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 no. Talk about, the, let, let me tell you about my Savior. And again, that is traumatic to hear. And I know that's not just me talking to myself, that it, it really is God speaking to me when I ask him what to say, because I would never think of that myself. That's how you know when it's the kind of the opposite of what you want to hear, that, that when, I, when I say, God, what would you have me say in this moment? And he essentially comes back, he says, shut up, Talbot. That's what I want you to say. That's how I know it's from him. What, what, what is he saying to you when, when you're asking him, God, what do I do? What do I say? What's the expression I need on my face? What do I need to avoid saying? I'm practicing your presence right now. And that's how the psalm ends, verses 20 through 23. My companions, my companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. I don't know if you knew this or not. The most dangerous lies can disguise his love. Most dangerous lies in our culture. Most dangerous lies that a lot of people tell you. They come in gift wrap and they sound loving and wise and tolerant. And truthfully, they'll just rot your soul. That's what David is saying here. Verse 22 Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, my God, bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. And I love what David has done. I love what God has done by inspiring David. I I love 
what God has done with the, with the design of Psalm number 55. Because remember, he didn't just inspire the words and the verses. He inspired the whole design of the whole thing. Because God knows that if you and if I were to get to trust too quickly, it would be a thin kind of trust. Or it would be a trust in God's answers rather than a trust in the answerer God. But God instead, very purposely and lovingly, takes us through these master plans, this difficult process by which we will go through valleys and we will go through shadows. And only when we go through a whole lot of difficulty will we get to that place where we say, yep, I've been through the ringer, Lord. You have led me through the ringer. I have gone through betrayal. I've gone through job loss. I've gone through depression. I've gone through grief. I've gone through all of it. But you have brought me through that ringer, and that was the most loving thing you could do. Because the trust at which I have arrived is now the kind of trust that will stay with me and will endure. It's not a thin trust. It's not faith in God's answers. It's faith in God the answerer. And when you look at how Psalm 55 is designed, and you're so grateful that it ends in this place of trust, it doesn't begin there because that's the way it works in your life. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know today. To get to trust, you got to go through trauma. To get to that place of trust. To get to that place of daddy holds you. I've tried trusting everything and everyone else. I've tried trusting me and the God who is me did let me down. But to get to that place of deep and enduring, yep, I trust you with my decisions of my life. I trust you in the details of the moment. To get to that place, God will bring you through some trauma. And it is the most loving thing that he could do. And the reason that that is such a gift of God, the reason that hard times and difficulties are a gift of God is because he loves to be trustworthy. I don't know if you know that or not. God loves it when you trust him. He loves it when you stop trusting the God who is you, and he loves it when you start trusting the God who is. He loves it when you look at your life in the big picture I don't know why God tells us to tithe that doesn't make financial sense, but I'm going to do it. I don't know why God says reserve intimacy for marriage. No one else does, but I'm going to do it. I don't know why God says love your enemies. I want to kill them, but I'm going to do it. Both those big picture decisions where you know what the word says, and even though it violates your, your common sense, the world's common sense, it violates what everyone else is doing, you say, that's the way I'm going to live anyway. And those details of the moment. God, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? How would you relate to me in this moment? God loves it when you trust him. You know how I know he loves it when you trust him? How, how do you think I felt 26 years ago when I had a two-year-old? Daddy holds you. Daddy holds I loved it. Yes, thank you for letting me hold you and protect you and get you through all of this. And God is exactly the same way. He loves it. It brings him great delight. And he loves to be trusted so much. Get this. He loves to be trusted so much that he will make you struggle to get there. That's counterintuitive. Absolutely biblical. God loves to be trusted so much. He knows that if he just gives it to you easily, it won't last very long. He makes you struggle to get there. To get to trust, you got to go 
through trials. And when I talk about traumas, all kinds of traumas, God will bring you through to get you to that place of faith. Relational trauma. Grief trauma. Depression trauma. Faith trauma. Some of you not, might even not be sure if you believe in this God that I'm talking about. And when I talk about trusting Him, you, you're like, why would I trust the AI? Self-inflicted trauma. Because really, isn't that the, the majority of the trauma that we face is trauma that we've done brought on ourselves? I kind of love it when people come to my office and they're, they're so trusting and tell me about the mess that happened in their lives, and, and they say, well, the devil made me do it. And every time I'm like, no, he didn't. You didn't need a bit of help getting into that mess. You got there all by your lonesome, and by saying the devil made you do it, all you're doing is avoiding responsibility. One of my great privileges as a pastor, we have a lot of people in recovery, AA, NA, GA, SA, all kind of A's in, in, in our church, and one of my great, great privileges as a pastor is to hear them tell their stories, alcoholics, recovering alcoholics tell their stories. And, and they, they've gotten to verse 23. I've walked in that journey, verses 1 through 22 of Psalm 55. And, and to a person, they say they would not trade any of their experiences. And by any of their experiences, I mean the broken relationships and the lost jobs and the nights in jail. They wouldn't give any of that up because now the view from the rear view mirror makes their sobriety that much sweeter, makes those times when they can pray that prayer, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And they can't pray with that conviction. They can only pray with that kind of conviction when they know how difficult that journey is. To get to got to go through trials. And since, since the thing hovering over all of Psalm 55 is that deep, deep sense of betrayal, can I have just a word to those of you who feel that most acutely tonight? And just in my own journey, I have realized I'm, I'm sort of done with all of my grudges, my my. my, my I would hold on to my grudges like they were my great possession. You know, like you have a, a wild animal, makes that kill, and they nurse that kill, and they watch over that kill. They don't want anybody to take that kill. They just feed on that kill. It's the way I am with my grudges, just hold on to them and feel them, feed on them and go back to them. And they're like my prized possession. And I just realized I'm, I'm so done being obsessed with those grudges, and instead I want to be possessed by my Savior. And I just want to invite you into that place even even tonight. Hey, what what a what a great time to be done with your grudges. What a what a great time to give that betrayal over to the hands of that one who has very likely you know, I don't know whether God allows things or causes things and where that line is. I, I just know that he uses things. 
God has very likely allowed or even caused that betrayal to come into your life so that you would work your way through it and ultimately get to that place where you fall on your knees at the feet of the one who knows the pain of betrayal better than anyone else. You ever heard of Judas? So Jesus knows better than all of us in this place combined what it is like to have the one you love the most and trust the greatest betray you the most painfully. So wouldn't tonight, as you get to trust, knowing you've had to go through trauma, wouldn't tonight be a great, great moment to just give that betrayal, give that grudge to the one who died for all of it anyway? Because here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a, a song about it is well. During the singing of that song, we made up some cards for you, little Christmas cards. And the card has practicing the presence, and it has to get to trust. you got to go through trauma in Psalm 55. It'll be a marvelous way for you to remember and memorize that which we have spoken about today. So I'm going to pray, and then our music team, Lucas and Kenya, are going to lead us in, in it as well. And I'm going I'm to invite you to come forward and pick up one of these cards out of one of these baskets. And you may just want to stay. As you pick up the card, you may just want to stay and pray at the altar with me. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for every difficult journey. Thank you even for fractured relationships and what they teach us about ultimately trusting you more than anyone or anything. And I ask that you would have a whole church full of people who grab these great hold you while we hold you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, as you are able, as you rise on your feet, and we'll sing, it is, is it is well, isn't it? Yes. And we will sing it as well. And as you've risen on your feet, come on up and get yourself a